Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans on today's Australian Open Round 4 catch-up. Dominic Team suffers a straight sets knockout to Grigor Dimitrov. Jessica Begula shocks Elena Svitolina. And Aslan Karatsev's magical run continues with a five-set win over Felix Oje Aliassime. Kim, another two days play at the Australian Open. Round four is complete. We do know now our quarterfinalists for the men and women. I've got to say, as a fan, I feel like round four has been very much a tale of two halves. I think on the Sunday, we had some absolutely fantastic matches, some really dramatic matches as well, with some really blockbuster, titanic tussles going on. Whereas I think today, I think we were almost kind of a bit starved of that level of competition. And I think one of the reasons for that is that injury has really been the, I think, the, the talk of the talk of Melbourne, I think, for the last 24 hours or so. Absolutely, Joel. And at the moment, it seems that if you don't have an abdominal injury, then what are you doing? Because they are going around like hotcakes at the moment. It seems that almost everyone's got some kind of niggle and, and it seems to be the abdominal, abdominal area that's particularly affected, which we will reflect on a bit later uh, as we kind of round up all of the action. But yeah, definitely this morning, you know, I watched a bit of Barty and then there was, you know, nothing. Uh, and I, I mean, it meant I could catch up on the night's action but yeah it felt very flat compared to the you know the amazing women's matches for example that we saw uh, on Sunday but let's begin with with today um perhaps a bit of a a damp squib but we'll we'll obviously touch on what did happen and uh for me I was very pleased I have to say to see that Rafa came through against Fabio Fognini in straight sets because obviously the last time they played at a slam it was a bit of a dodgy uh, outcome. So I was quite pleased Rafa was able to to navigate that particular one. Yeah, this match was very uh, routine for Rafa. I think it was a very impressive victory for him. He seems to be very much slowly but surely uh, finding his form in, in this competition. And this match, I think, particularly showed that he has really kind of improved and he is, I think, raring to go now for you know, for the second week, for the, the latter stages of, of the men's event. You know, it sounded from his, his post-match interview, he's really excited now. I think he was going in, you know, uncertain about what the, the two weeks might hold for him. But I feel like now with this victory and the manner of this victory, he's got loads of confidence that I don't think he came into Melbourne with. Yeah, I think obviously having now played four matches, the back seems to be holding up. I don't think he's too affected by it, you know, so fingers crossed. Uh, and Fognini, you know, he he didn't play sort of horrendously bad or anything. You know, he had his chances, but he just, you know, wasn't able to to capitalise. Like he was, you know, a breakup in the second set. He was 4-2 up, but obviously Rafa kind of managed to peg him back. And, you know, Fognini broke Rafa in, in the first set as well, but was never able to kind of, 
actually consolidate. So, you know, he had his moments where maybe on a, on another day, if he was kind of more on it, he might have been able to, to hurt Rafa a bit more. And I didn't think Rafa, you know, Rafa didn't serve particularly well today, but he obviously still managed to win in straight sets fairly comfortably. So that that's good, isn't it? To know that you can kind of have a fairly easy match despite not being at your best. And uh, yeah, I, I think... You know, I haven't seen Rafa at his best, but he's done enough to get through. And and obviously, Sitsipas next in the quarterfinals, he will be looking to raise his level, you know, even more. But I think, considering where we were at the start of the tournament, where Rafa, you know, hadn't had any match practice coming in, it's it's really pleasing as a Rafa fan to see that you know he's done all right. He's got to the quarters without dropping a set. You know, what what more can you ask for, really? Yes, and it's going to be sterner tests to come because you do feel like his half of the draw is is the trickier one to navigate from now on with some of the most informed players, uh, you know, Rev... Uh, Rebladev, <laughs> uh, Medvedev and Rublev uh, as well. <laughs> I think what was interesting, you know, this was a day match and... We were talking, I think, you know, we were talking in uh, one of our previous catch-ups about the the conditions and, you know, the fact that, you know, Novak Djokovic said that the court he felt was playing quicker. And Rafa also agreed with that. And actually, he said the day session, the conditions are are feeling a bit quicker than at the night. And he actually said that he preferred playing in the day conditions, which I think sort of, I think it surprised uh, the the interviewer. I think it surprised me as well, because you, you think that maybe Nadal wants the ball to kind of sit up a bit more and maybe that happens on an, on an evening session. But I thought it was interesting to hear that he prefers the, the day session where it is a little bit faster. You know, the ball comes onto his racket a bit quicker. Um, I think was a factor in his win today. The fact that it was a bit, it was a bit quicker, and and with Fognini, the way he plays from the the baseline, and the, the sorts of shots he was playing, it was just like you know he was just having no time really to uh, you know to prepare what what was coming back from Nadal. Yeah, I mean Rafa will have to go for. I mean the rest of his matches, should he win beyond Sitsipas, would they would only be night matches. You know, I'm sure that his. Mm. I imagine his quarterfinal will be a, the night match against Sitsipas. So, yeah, and, and the final is, is a night match always, isn't it? So uh, I think Rafa just likes the heat, though, as well. You know, playing in the day, I think he, he likes the sun. I think, you know, it's kind of more of that aspect as well. Um, so I think it's maybe a bit of that. But, yeah, I mean, we, we as you said, Rebladev, <laughs> we also had other <laughs> results in the men's draw. And, yeah, we have Medvedev, uh, who also won through really comfortably against Mackenzie McDonald who you know it was a very quick match it was just under an hour and a half he didn't stand a chance really I don't think he's got the weapons to really match uh, anyone of, of Medvedev's caliber at the moment so Medvedev yeah he's um, continuing his his winning streak none of the drama of the Krajonovic match you know the five sets the sending his coach out of the box this one was a very kind of imperious relaxed kind of victory and you know it was very very much par for the course yeah it was very sedate and completely at odds with uh you know the the round before three russians into the last eight which i think is the first time ever at a grand slam which is very impressive medvedev i think i, I mean rublev might have something to say but medvedev for me looks like the the best the best bet of the three at the moment but you know we we always kind of earmarked the the battle for russia um at the start of the you know at the start of the event looking at that i mean mackenzie mcdonald you, you could say he did his he did really well he used his protected ranking got to the fourth round there's not really much more you could ask from him really 
No, I think he would have exceeded his own expectations by getting to the fourth round. And he'll be looking to obviously build on that and think about, you know, although he's kind of still coming back from this injury, how to kind of make sure that when he gets to this position again, he's able to actually make a bit more of an impact. Uh, but yeah, as you said, Joel, three three Russian men in the quarterfinals. Uh, obviously, we've had that on the women's tour before with, you know, the um, you know amount of Russian female players that we've had uh, over the past kind of decades or so. But yeah, let, let's talk about, obviously, Rublev is through as well. Like you said, they, that he's now through to face Medvedev. And I mean, I would pick Medvedev for that one very much. No offence to Rublev. But Rublev, he had a bit of a shortened match. His opponent, Kasper Ruud, retired after two sets. Uh, six two seven six. Rublev came through in those first two sets. And yeah, real shame for Kasper Ruud. You know, he, he managed to push Rublev into that second set tiebreak, but he wasn't able to carry on. I think it was also an, an abdominal injury for Kasper Ruud. So yeah, it's obviously not great when you're forced to retire from a match. And this was obviously Kasper Ruud's the deepest he'd gone at a Grand Slam. So not able to kind of continue. But I guess two sets down, injured, you know, you think, well, <laughs> is there any point in pushing on when I'm just going to be hurting myself even more? But we, um, unfortunately, you know, at least that match happened and we got two sets because the Berrettini sits pass fourth round encounter was cancelled. Berrettini withdrawing from that one in advance, again, with an abdominal injury. So again, it's the running theme of this year's event. And Berrettini, you know, he picked that injury up in the Kachanov match in the third set and just said he, you know, it's not worth risking any more kind of serious damage. So he, uh, yeah, he decided not to play, which is fair, fair, fair dues. Shame for the fans, shame for us waiting for a night match. But, you know, he, he obviously made that decision for his body. It was a bit of a shame, wasn't it? Because Berrettini's been in, in great form. We saw that in the ATP Cup, and you know he looked very good as well in his his matches, uh, including that that Kachanov match. So it was, I think, yeah, a bit disappointing we couldn't see a Berrettini Sissipas match because I think that would have been a real understanding of, of where both those players' levels are at. And I think that was very genuine, probably a fifty-fifty matchup. It could have easily gone on five sets. Rublev, I mean, he's not dropped a set this week. Uh, he's he's looked very good. He's he's hitting the ball very flat. He's hitting lots of winners. He's blowing away the competition. And yeah, I wouldn't say he's been tested as such. So, you know, he's coming up against Medvedev. You know, I'm sure that they will know each other's games inside out. But he's in the form of his life, really. And, um, you know, they're both, they're both in the quarterfinals. I think, you know, they faced each other in the US Open quarterfinals last time round. And, and I think Medvedev came through that quite easily. But I think this time round, I think it it might be a different story. I think the victor might be the same. I think it might still be Medvedev, but I think it might be a, a lot more, a, a much closer affair. Yeah, I think I for Rublev, I think, you know, it's pleasing that he's been able to reach another quarterfinal. I think that shows his consistency and that shows that he, you know, he hasn't had any problems this week against the players that he should be beating, which again, just shows how much he's matured and kind of grown as a player, because I think <laughs> a lot of players, you know, they get up in the rankings, they have a great season like he did last year, but then they still kind of can't just pull out performances and, and win perhaps when they're not on their best, you know, on having their best day. And I think Rublev's shown that, you know, he's able to kind of come through 
those matches he's expected to and reach the this stage. And yeah, his good form has continued from last year. So that's really good to see. And hopefully we will have a right epic on our hands. I would love to see them to, you know, push each other. And obviously they are, you know, Russian teammates. They won the ATP Cup together last week. So they know each other very well, like you said. But um, hopefully we'll be in for a treat with that one. And I mean, just a note on Sitsipas, um, not, not having a match in the fourth round. Do you think that will hinder Sitsipas coming up against Rafa? Do you think he might be a bit, you know, he's had extra days off, you know, just to practice and what have you, but not having that kind of match. Do you think that will mean he's a bit slow against Rafa or do you think it will just do him the world of good to have had more of a break? I think it will do him the world of good to have a little bit of break. He had that five set match, I think, against Kokinakis as well. Um, I, I think it helps at a grand slam in, in best of five set format to have a little bit more recuperation. I do think it does throw up a question in terms of, I think we, we always kind of address this whenever this ha- sort of happens, but it's just a shame. I think from a fan point of view, we don't get to see a match on a, on a tennis court or, or, you know, on the TV or, you know, if you're a spectator in the crowd and, I do, I do wonder, you know, we have obviously lucky losers kind of come into main draws and I wonder whether, you know, there is something to be looked at in terms of lucky losers during the competition. And even if Berrettini pulls out after victory, is there, you know, could something be written in potentially or tested even, you know, for a situation like Kachanov actually comes in his place? as a lucky loser mid-tournament to kind of fill that void. Um, I, I just wonder whether, um, you know, it just kind of makes sure I think that there's a, almost kind of an even playing field and, and no one is supremely advantaged going into a quarterfinal or a semifinal or whatever. I know that's, you know, I know some people might say it's it's luck of the draw, you get what you get, but I think there might be some cause to be kind of saying, if we want to make sure that, that everyone is sort of, on an, uh, an even playing field in the you know the second week of the tournament, why don't we have as many matches as possible and have no have no gaps in play? I think it's an issue of fairness, but I think from both perspectives, because say for example, if Sitspas wins the Australian Open, he's only had to play six matches to do so. So some might find that you know a bit unfair, or you haven't actually won all seven matches. But I mean, like you said, you can only come up against whoever you're playing that is just kind of the luck of the situation and it will kind of come what goes around comes around like more or less you know somewhere along the way this has happened to pretty much everyone they've been on the receiving end of a withdrawal or they've had to withdraw but I think if you're then putting a lucky loser in so Sitsipas would have played you know Karen Hatchinov for example who was brought back in and reinstated what if Karen Hatchinov went on to win the tournament that's also not fair because I mean the chances are that they the chances are that this, this lucky loser wouldn't go on to win the tournament but in, in, if it did happen, then you've, you know, that's not really a legitimate win in the sense that actually that person should have been go, gone home in the third round. So I don't know if this will ever happen, but I totally see where you're coming from because I do think, I don't know, unless, oh, mate, yeah, it's, it's really tricky, isn't it, um, to how they would navigate that one. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, listeners, let us know your thoughts. What what would you like to see happen? Is there a way of doing it kind of fairly, fairly? I don't know. Let's have a look at the women's results from the fourth round today. So we had Jessica Pagula gaining her first kind of big victory, especially at a slam um, against Svitolina in three sets today. You know, she's made it through to the quarterfinals now. So she's in new territory and, and this was her first yeah, top 10 victory. Obviously, she beat Azarenka in the first round. She hasn't dropped a set before this match and she's looking in really good form. I thought she was hitting the ball really well today, serving well. She served it out comfortably at the end and didn't let that kind of second set get to her. She fought it out in the third. 
and yeah she she is has she's had an interesting you know year I've, I've seen her name popping up quite a lot like i can see that she's been she's been making waves making her way up the rankings and it's nice when he, it really comes together for a player and i'd be interested to see if she can go any further because she's got an all-american quarterfinal against jen brady coming up which i think is going to be quite an, an interesting battle between the two of them yeah, Jessica Bugula is playing really good tennis at the moment. I was sort of surprised, actually, she came through this against Svitolina. I do think Svitolina is, I feel like she's got two Grand Slam semi-finals to her name. And I feel like her, you know, her ability is a lot better than that. And I think she would have rude this as a missed opportunity to, you know, to potentially get to a final in, you know, a half of a draw that, is pretty, you know, is is not got a lot of kind of big, big names there. And I think Cicilina will rue that missed opportunity, but definitely to Jessica Begula's game, I think kind of just watching, you know, some of the highlights, I think what really pleased me about her performance was the way that kind of she was constructing the points on court. I know we know that Cicilina is a bit of a, you know, a defender and that's her kind of style of play. But I think Begula was really able to know when to attack and, and come to the net. And I think she won 21 of, of 29, I think, odd, um, you know, points at the net. So she really was, in, she really knew she's got, I think she's got a really good kind of tennis brain and, and kind of knew when to come in and, and kind of kill off the points. So yeah, it was a really impressive victory from her. And I mean, Americans just generally are doing really well in, um, you know, in the women's draw. As you said, we've got Jessica Bigula, very much a surprise package. Jennifer Brady, on the other hand, I don't feel like she is as much of a, a surprise package when it comes to when it comes to a, a hard court. Yeah, she's backed up her semi-final appearance at the US Open by you know reaching the quarterfinals. She, she can go further uh, here at the Australian Open, and she had a very comfortable win today over Donna Vekic. And I mean, I know Vekic was struggling with an injury. You know, she was, she did appear to be kind of a bit slow physically and she had some taping and strapping um, put on, you know, she had to have a medical timeout. But, you know, we all know that players, if they know their opponent is, you know, visibly injured, it's quite difficult sometimes to focus on, on your game and just getting the job done. But Brady was very um, impressive in that regard because she just didn't let that affect her and you know pulled off the victory um very comfortable and yeah another american into the quarterfinals have got three out of eight from the women's side and yeah it's very impressive for for them very exciting for u.s women's tennis that they've kind of got these two younger players as well you know pagula and brady and i imagine you know she'll be quite pumped to play her compatriot i'm sure they know each other fairly well so i i would ed i would pick Brady to edge that one because of her experience at a Grand Slam, you know, from back in September. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if we had a three setter on our hands with that one. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> complete, I'm complete opposite. I just feel like, you know, Jennifer Brady has been going through this draw, um, you know, similar to like an Osaka or, or Muguruza, you know, before they met. Very kind of one-sided set score lines. I mean, six one, six three, six one, six two, six one, six three. I mean, she on a hard court is uh, one of the best in the world. I don't care what her ranking is. I don't care what her seeding is. She is one of the best when you you put her on a hard court. And I do think potentially against Pegula, she uh, you know she has the ability to to run away with it. And I think Pegula will need to be aware of that and and probably start quite well. Probably start you know, try and get an early break in um, to kind of stop that. Because I do think 
Jennifer Brady is a, one of those sorts of players who is sort of a, like a runaway freight train. And in, in once she kind of gets up and running, there's no, there's not really much stopping her. And, you know, she's the last, interestingly, she's the last player from that sort of hard quarantine group left in the competition. But, you know, that, that may have like kind of hindered her setup. But, you know, again, you put Jen Brady on a hardcore, she's going to do some damage. And I actually think she's shown better form than everyone else kind of left in the in the competition, including Ash Barty. So I think arguably, I know Ash Barty is the number one seed, but I do think that Jen Brady is probably the one playing the best tennis at the moment in that top half. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm quite happy with the fact that Brady and Barty are still in the mix because I had them as my semi-final prediction. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of lining up for that to happen. But but yeah, we did have Ash Barty playing Shelby Rogers, another American who unfortunately didn't make it through. You know, otherwise that would have made you know fifty percent of all the quarterfinalists would have been American, which would have been crazy. Um, Ash came through in straight sets on Rod Laver in the the night session, which you know <laughs> was the only match in the end on on that. But she beat um, Shelby Rogers, and you know they'd played before um, the AO, and it had been a much closer affair. But obviously, you know it, it was it was a different kettle of fish. Grand Slam. I never I never thought that Shelby Rogers would would actually really challenge Barty, and she did break back, you know, late on, but. You know, Barty's so kind of calm and composed and she just kind of had had her really. And, you know, she used that that backhand slice um, to kind of really take Rogers out of out of where she felt most comfortable on the court. And we saw that in their match, you know, previous as well. So I just think, again, her variety and her composure showed through with, with her win. And she's through to face Carolina Mukova, Joel, who had a bit of a closer match with Elise Mertens. Yeah, I mean, just a quick word on on Ash Barty. I feel you know she will be again she as the number one seed. Looking at that top top half, she will be looking and thinking, you know, if I don't if I don't make the final here, you know, that is a that's going to be a disappointment because you know she's not she's avoided all the big names, all of the you know the big names in her half like Kenin have gone out early, and she's got an opportunity here to make another Grand Slam final. And we spoke about the fact that she. You know, her ranking, you know, she was probably one of the biggest benefactors of kind of the ranking freeze that happened, you know, during the pandemic. Of course, Sash Barty wasn't able to, you know, play on the tour. You know, she was at home and I guess, you know, practicing and wasn't able to kind of accrue any kind of ranking points. And the fact that she came into this tournament as number one in the world with that sort of draw, I feel like that has kind of helped her. And even if that ranking freeze wasn't kind of in place I still think she she, you know, she would have backed herself in terms of kind of the players she came up against but I think with a kind of a, a number one sort of path stroke trajectory she's she's really got the opportunity to make the most of that that ranking freeze that I think you know has arguably kind of benefited her kind of going into the, the first grand slam of the year yeah although I'm not sure if there hadn't have been a freeze I don't know what her ranking would have dropped down to she probably would have still been in the top 8 seeds so I don't know how how much difference that that would have made but you know if she gets to the final I think she'd obviously have a a much tougher opponent probably like Asaka or whoever so I don't think it's you know like when she won the French Open people were saying oh you know the average ranking of the players she had to beat wasn't very high you know she got lucky I I don't think you could quite say the same about this tournament and obviously you can only play who's on the other side of the net but yeah I think she will be ruining uh, somewhat of a missed opportunity if she doesn't make the final because you know by and large she is 
a bit of a head and shoulders above the rest of the field, I suppose. Um, but I, oh, let's see how she fares against Mukova. I mean, Mukova has a habit, it seems, of going quite a way down in sets before coming back, which she did against Pliskova at five love down. And she did that against Mertens uh, today. She was four love and five two down in the first set, but came back to grab that seven six and then clinch the second seven five. So she can't afford to do that against Barty, I don't think, because Barty, for me, doesn't seem like the sort of player that's you know going to collapse in a set and let a string of games kind of go past. But, you know, she's got quite a... For- good variety in her game look of her so it will be interesting to see but I, i'm hoping that barty will come through because i've got barty versus brady uh, in the semis in my predictions and i want that i want that to be i want that to be a thing joel <laughs> yeah, uh, look Carolina Mukova as well. I didn't. I didn't realize this. She's. She's got. Um. She, obviously, she's got her own Instagram account. She's been posting photos of herself upside down, uh, to reflect the fact that she's in Australia on her <laughs> she account, do? which I. I think is hilarious. But yeah, I think she's a great personality for the game, and she's got a really. I think pleasing style of of tennis to watch, and it will be. I, I think an absolute treat to kind of watch her up against Ash Barty. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. I still expect Ash Barty to have a bit too much in the locker for her. But um, yeah, I think Mukova has done, you know, he's done herself really well. And, you know, taking out Elise Mertens, who, again, was one of the, probably the form players going into going into the tournament. I, I feel like, she again, she's got a little bit of unfulfilled potential there in terms of, you know, she's able to kind of do it for the, the first week, but she's not able yet, I think, to kind of carry it on through to a you know, a quarterfinal or, or a semifinal, a bit like Svitolina, I think, in terms of getting to a, a Grand Slam final. So I think, you know, with Mertens, that certainly, I think, will be one of her, you know, next goals. I do think as well, she's definitely a, a top 10, I think she's got top 10 game, but she's just going to need to be able to, I think, be able to kind of bring that form that she can show at a tour, tour level into um, into the Grand Slam arena. Yeah, I mean, she did meet, she did make the semis here a few years ago, Joel. Of um, course, but, yeah. Yes, but that was very much a once-off, you feel, because she's mm. not come close since. And yes, it, it's making that sort of translation between like the regular tour events and the slams. And she's in the doubles, though, with, with Sabalenka. So perhaps both of them, who are still yet to really break through properly at slams, you know, perhaps they'll be able to uh, in the doubles. But um isn't Mukova the one that's friends with Rebel Wilson as well? And I was just quite randomly, I think she was at Wimbledon, wasn't she, watching Mukova a couple of years ago? I think it was Rebel Wilson. You're right. It was. Uh, it's always a bit funny to see random celebrities in, in player boxes. But yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on that front. <laughs> I was just wondering if if there had been you know fans whether she would been there in Australia to to watch her. Obviously, she is Australian herself. But um, yeah, today, I suppose, from a British perspective, Joel, we had some success, which was very exciting in the men's doubles and men's wheelchair events. So Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, they uh, came through uh, their third round match to make the quarterfinals. So they beat Piers and Venus uh, in two tiebreak sets. And we also had Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez coming through against Gonzalez and Bellelli uh, in three sets. So they actually have very winnable matches in their quarterfinals and then could play each other in the semi. So I think we, it's safe to say we're probably going to have a Brit in the doubles final. Um, I can't see both of them pairings, not, you know, not either of them, not making it. Um, but we also had, uh, unfortunately, Heather Watson losing in the women's doubles. Uh, she's playing with Leila Annie Fernandez and they lost out uh, to F- Fitchman and 
Olmos. I, I don't know Olmos. I've heard of Sharon Fitchman before, but not heard of her opponent, uh, her partner, Juliana Olmos. Um, and unfortunately, Jamie Murray lost in the mixed doubles as well with Bethany Matic-Sands. It was the second round, but when you're up against Dabrowski and Mate Pavic, you know, that is a nightmare second round. <laughs> yeah. Quite a tough pairing to deal with. And in the wheelchair events as well, we had... Britain's Alfie Hewitt. Um, he's going to be facing Joachim Gerard of Belgium in the final of the men's wheelchair singles event. He came through a really good 6-3-6-4 victory over the top seed Shingo Kaneda of Japan. And and he's in the doubles final as well with Gordon Reed. So they uh, came through, well, the beach Kaneda again uh, and Gustavo Fernandez. So yeah, perhaps two titles on the cards for Alfie Hewitt, which will be fantastic to see so uh, yeah good good a uh, good for uh for Alfie and also Gordon who who did miss out um in his singles but um yeah let's take a break now Joel uh we'll be back to discuss day seven uh which was a bit more exciting than day eight I think that's fair to say so do join us in just a moment where we'll look back on all the results from that <laughs> This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to look back to day seven of the Australian Open, where, well, like we said earlier, with with abdominal injuries going round, we also had um, more injury concerns and troubles, this time amongst, you know, the very top seeds. And let's begin with, I think for me, the real surprise of the day, which was Dominic Team, the third seed, US Open champion, someone who that I think pretty much had like dead set for the semi-finals at least went out in straight sets to Grigor Dimitrov and got bageled in the third set. I mean, what was going on there? That was a result that I think shocked a lot of people. No one in our collector set, I think, got that prediction correct. And it was very, very surprising. You know, we thought that, you know, obviously Dominic team came through that epic match against Kyrgios and we thought he was just going to was going to continue on uh, his merry way. But Grigor Dimitrov had other plans up his sleeves and team talked about the fact that he had uh, little physical issues uh, through the match. Didn't really kind of allude to what those physical issues were. So, but it did sound like he was sort of hampered a bit. I mean, that sort of third set, particularly getting bageled by Dimitrov, that's very, very, very surprising. I think from if you're a Grigor Dimitrov or a Grigor Dimitrov fan, I think you're going to be buying a beer for, for Nick Kyrgios because I sense that match took a lot out of team, both mentally and physically. And Dimitrov was able to kind of capitalise that. And, and Kim, as you said, defeating an injured player is not, you know, it's not the done deal. Uh, you know, just ask Taylor Fritz. And, um, you know, it was really impressive, I think, for, from Dimitrov. Uh, you know, he obviously loves playing at the Australian Open and he's into another quarterfinal. Yeah, I think uh, if Dominic Team was probably wishing that the Melbourne lockdown had started a day earlier because then he wouldn't have had that crowd with the Kyrgios match and perhaps it would have been a different kettle of fish and he wouldn't have been so low on energy uh, against Grigor. I th- he did say that there was physical issues, you know, in the post-match interview, but he didn't really go into any detail. So I think, you know, he wasn't wanting to make excuses or take anything away from Grigor, but there's obviously something going on because you don't see that sort of performance from Dominic team, or, or at least we haven't seen that, you know, in a while. Uh, I mean, team wasn't in the best of form, I guess, coming into the uh, tournament. You know, he had lost to like Berrettini at the ATP Cup, for example. But, you know, 
I don't think, you know, normal wouldn't really read an awful lot into that. But yeah, really strange. Uh, he only won five points in that last set. Uh, so very un- un-team-like, but, you know, he's human. I think, you know, he was saying that it's very difficult to, you know, people just expect him to be like a machine and just keep winning and winning. And, and I guess it does take its toll and people were starting to kind of put him in the same bracket as, Djokovic and Nadal and we kind of had come to expect you know this real consistency from him and I think perhaps that there was quite a lot of pressure as well in his mind the expectation now that he is a a Grand Slam champion and you know reached the final here last year so I have a lot of sympathy for that I think um, you know to be in his shoes and you know it just obviously wasn't to be on court and please for Dimitrov because you know he's one of those players that has been to the deep end of slams before and, you know, has never got through to a final, but, you know, he's really someone we weren't really talking about, you know, when we looked at the, the draw and, you know, I think he's made the most of, of his draw and he's now got a very winnable quarterfinal as well. So he's having a great old time of it, I think, in, in Melbourne at the moment. And and kind of talking about other players affected or not affected by injury um Novak Djokovic against Milos Raonic now Kim I've got to be honest I was not even expecting Novak Djokovic to make the court for his uh fourth round match but he was able to do so and he came through Milos Raonic a person he has a really good head-to-head record against I think that was his 12 I think he's 12 and 0 against him came through in four sets seven six four six six one six four didn't really show the signs of, you know, injury, I think, that I think we were maybe expecting to see. Uh, I know he he spoke about the fact that he didn't practice or, you know, didn't step on a court, I think, between the, you know, the Fritz match and, and the Raonic match. I think he almost said, like, his his physiotherapist was the, you know, the MVP of, of the match. But it was, I think, a bit surprising for some fans to kind of see a player, you know, go f- go from such a miraculous uh you know victory in in five sets you know suffering potentially from a, a side strain or whatever it was a tear in in his words and then going to this match where he was able to take out you know someone of the caliber of Milos Raonic I can't believe you were fooled Joel that you thought he wouldn't <laughs> step on that court I can't believe he he pulled the wall over your eyes um no I mean yeah I, I don't know I think Novak said that if it hadn't have been a Grand Slam, he would have withdrawn from the tournament. So he did what he could to be ready for the match. And it, you could tell that he was hampered a little bit. You know, obviously he had the the, the taping on his abdominal area that's affected. I, I can't imagine it would be a tear because I think a lot of people were saying if it was a tear, you know, you wouldn't be able to play. So I imagine it's some sort of strain. But to be fair, like Novak seemed to be serving fine, moving fine. So obviously pain management and um, it, he seems to be able to to play. I mean, yes, he dropped that second set, but the last two sets were very Novak-like, you know. I just never had any confidence that once a rally really got going, that Raonic had much of a say. And I don't know, I feel like if Djokovic can, can manage this, whatever it is that he has, I, I still see him winning the title, Joel. I, I really, I, you know, I don't know... I think, obviously, I don't really know what to to think about it because I just, I don't know, you know, whatever he says, I don't, I think we should all just take it with a pinch of salt. But I do think there's obviously an injury. I'm not, not saying he's faking it, but to, to what level or extent, I, I really couldn't say. 
I think he's like on maximum strength painkillers from now <laughs> yeah, to the end probably. of the tournament. I think he's going to be, he's going to find some sort of way to, you know, to manage the situation match by match. I don't know what damage that is doing internally to his body. I guess we'll f- see the implications, you know, post AO, but um, yeah, it was an impressive win. And, and particularly for, for Djokovic, because that was his 300th, Grand Slam win. I think only Roger Federer has more than that or is in the, the 300 club. So kind of really impressive. But you do get the sense that in the, in his, his press conference afterwards, you know, there was, it was all chat around, well, it was all kind of the line of, of conversation was all around the, you know, the injury, how it felt, you know, what's he thinking about it? And there was no sort of cause for celebration about this sort of incredible achievement in terms of 300 Grand Slam wins. But, yeah, it was a very, uh, you know, for, for I think for some fans, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, like myself, and maybe for some other fans, it was it was less of a shock. <laughs> That's a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's got Zverev in the next round, and I think Zverev is like really on it, and Novak is still suffering. I, I can see Zverev winning. I definitely can, but I'm also still going to go with Novak as the favourite for that one. And and just a quick note on Zverev, like we haven't really spoken much about him because he's just been proceeding through the draw very comfortably very kind of under the radar he hasn't had a particularly exciting draw he's had very kind of average players I suppose like he beat Lajovic in straight sets in the fourth round so not much to really go on Um, I haven't watched much as Verev so if he can produce what we know he can produce and has produced against Novak in the past then I think he stands a fairly decent chance and you know they did play at the ATP Cup and that was a three-setter. So if Novak isn't completely fit, then Zverev's really, I think, got to seize this chance. Although, <laughs> apparently, Zverev also has an abdominal injury. And uh, this is what Novak said in his his on-court interview. Um, and he joked that they should just both agree not to like serve. They could just play their match without serving because they're both <laughs> suffering with a very similar injury. So it remains to be seen if Zverev can even capitalise because he may also be suffering. Um, but as I said earlier, it seems to be all the rage to have an abdominal injury uh, at the moment. And uh, actually one player that I don't think is injured is Aslan Karatsev, Joel, who is into the quarterfinals um, and is, is a qualifier, which is the crazy thing. I mean that story is is it keeps going. Uh, he beat Felix Auger Aliassim in five sets. I think he was two sets down as well. I mean he Kim he's like twenty seven years old. Grand Slam draw main draw debut. Um, he shouldn't be doing these things. Um, he shouldn't be getting to you know quarter you know getting to the quarterfinals. As I said, he's the you know three Russians in in the final eight. You wouldn't have thought Karatsev was gonna was gonna be there and. Really, really, really impressive. Um, I think he made the most of, of Felix Ogier Aliassim, you know, almost realizing what he's on the brink of and, you know, second guessing himself. And I think that was sort of the, you know, the door that opened for Kratsev to come back into it. And yeah, he's just a very heavy, heavy hitter from the, the back of the court and is, you know, he's defying his, he's defying his ranking at the moment. And, you know, we are in we are in a you know we are in this sort of world where I think these results these results sorry the the platform for them has been made more likely. But did we actually expect to kind of see this happen? You know, as from my point of view, no. But you know, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's just it's just still in, incredible to think you know that he's got to the 
the quarterfinals. And you know, Medvedev described him as as Russia's secret weapon uh, during the ATP Cup for the doubles. Well, I don't, I don't think him. It's it's much of a secret now. Yeah, I was surprised by Medvedev saying that because when I looked at what Aslan Karatsev had done in the doubles, I, I think they lost all their the doubles matches that he played, unless I'm reading the scores completely wrong. But he obviously, um, Medvedev must know how talented Karatsev is. And certainly those last three sets, he certainly wasn't playing like a 114 ranked player of the world. And it, I think, you know, the lack of crowds and the fact that, you know, obviously he's used to playing on the Challenger Tour where there barely are crowds at the best of time so it's an environment in which he feels more comfortable and having the qualifying several weeks before you know meant that he was probably a lot more rested than a qualifier normally would be going into a slam because you know normally you'd have had those three perhaps grueling matches and then you suddenly in the main draw like two days later like that wasn't the case so he's obviously been able to recover and be kind of mentally and physically fresher but that just goes to show that therefore perhaps is there an argument to always play qualifying, you know, a bit more in advance of a slam? I don't know. Maybe it would give qualifiers a bit more of a chance uh, in the main draw. But I mean, for any of those in the know who follow the challenger circuit, you know, quite avidly, Karatsev won 18 of his final 20 matches on the challenger circuit last year. So including two tournament wins. So he was obviously one of those players that if you're like tracking the trajectory of like challenger kind of level players that was perhaps one that you'd maybe want to put a few quid on come a come a grand slam if they've qualified but yeah it'll be interesting because you know Dimitrov should should win like he is the favorite for their quarterfinal but like what Karatsev's done this week I you know he beat Schwartzman in straight sets I wouldn't be surprised if Karatsev makes it to the semis which for the men's game at the moment for a qualifier to do that Mm. that is something we haven't yeah exactly (laughs) like uh, crazy um yeah, that would really be something. I always genuinely feel as well with with Dimitrov that we know that he's got these big wins in his locker. I always think there's always been a question about him being able to follow up those big wins. And yes, this this match on paper feels like a bit of a gimme against Karatsev. But given the, you know, given Karatsev's form this week, you know, it, it just would not be totally surprising, even though you'd say that Dimitrov really should be winning that match in a really comfortable three set routine job yeah exactly I I feel like Grigor I don't think he's going to feel the pressure there I think you know he's so much older now isn't he there's Mm. no expectation on him you know he was tipped as baby Federer he was expected to go and win multiple slams that hasn't happened so it's he doesn't really have anything to prove still I don't think he's not in the conversation anymore so I feel like actually it's probably better he's more likely to just kind of play pressure free now um I always love a bit of Grigor so I I'd I'd like to see him go through I'd also like Karatsev to continue his run because I think it is quite a you know a magical sort of thing so yeah in a way I'm actually oh they're both quite interesting aren't they on that side of the draw for for various reasons but I mean you have to say that whoever wins out of that Djokovic-Sverev match like they're in the final when you look at the other Mm. quarter in that half but Perhaps not foregone conclusions. We'll see. There might be a few more injuries throwing a spanner in the works. Who knows? I know. I do genuinely feel like Sasha Zverev has a chance against Novak Djokovic. I mean, even if Djokovic is, you know, back to, you know, who he was before that, that Taylor Fritz match, I still think he's got an air of vulnerability about him that Zverev can easily exploit. I mean, he's done that before, uh, you know, in the, in the, on the tour. I think now it's just a question of can he do it at a Grand Slam, which I think is a really is 
in you know in terms of kind of player development from you know the Zverev point of view, I think it's really impressive. We're kind of talking about that now because you know it wasn't long ago, Kim, that we were talking about why isn't Sasha Zverev in the second week of a Grand Slam? Mm. That seems to have been you know completely put put to bed now, and he's consistently you know getting to the you know the the latter stages you know, getting to the stages that his seeding suggests he should get to. And, you know, now that he's there, he will want to make the most of that. And against, a, you know, a wounded player like Novak Djokovic, he'll sense that he's got a really big chance in making the semifinals. I think it will all depend on how he serves, <laughs> which is often <laughs> the case with Sasha Zverev. So Very let's true. see what happens, what, what serve he brings onto court. But I mean, let's move on to the women's matches from yesterday. This seems like such a long time ago now, Joel, because I was up, I stayed up to watch, uh, until I think the second set of Serena Williams's match. But, um, so therefore it just feels like this was three days ago because I'm quite tired. But Asaka Muguruza, probably the most compelling of the, the sort of three three setters that we had uh you know Osaka saved two match points she was three five down in that third set and came back to win seven five that is a champion's performance if ever there was was one and she really was able to just step it up another another level right at the end to kind of get that victory and it's such a shame for Muguruza though because she was she was really really on it especially um from a breakdown in that first set she was playing very very you know, amazing tennis and Osaka wasn't, you know, she was making a lot more errors than normal. She she was definitely like down and I know she took that second set, but Muguruza really had the upper hand and I mean, it's a case of definitely should have probably got over the finish line. Uh, you know, if you're a Muguruza fan, definitely very frustrating because you genuinely felt that she was going to be able to do that mm. in, in straight sets. I think Osaka said that she was a little bit intimidated stepping on the court with, with Muguruza and I think that showed particularly in the, you know, in the, in the first set. I think, again, she also spoke about the fact that, you know, that match, if that match was being played a year ago, she definitely would have, would have lost it. And, you know, I think we've seen, I think this was a match is, is a testament really to Osaka and her sort of mental, um, you know, her mental strength, which I think has improved greatly over the last, you know, 12 months. You know, I always go back to, you know, when she was world number one for the first time, didn't really handle it that well, if we're being quite honest. But now it seems that, you know, she's learned, she's learned that lesson. She's come back kind of mentally a lot stronger. And, you know, despite the kind of the situation that she was in, she was able to come through it. And it's the sort of quality, I think, that, you know, we we associate a lot more with someone like a Simona Halep and not necessarily as much with a an Osaka who, you know, we think about, I think, in terms of just kind of obliterating the, you know, the competition and, you know, that, you know, that does it for her. But when she is in a real battle against someone who is, playing just as good as tennis if not better tennis than her um you know how she react to that and and i think this match just showed that when it comes to kind of the big moments she can she can really pull it out the blag i mean some some people might say it was it was clutch tennis at times but it got it got the job done and, and muguruza will be i think she'll be disappointed because i think both those players will be uh, you know i think uh, to be honest i think that match was showed some of the the best tennis in the in the whole of the the women's draw and that very easily could have been a, a grand slam grand slam final yeah it had grand slam final written all over it when you saw it in the draw and and that match you know essentially it was and i think personally i think that could very well prove to be essentially the final because i know osaka she, you know she's got Siwei Shea next but and then she'd have either Halep or Serena 
and Barty in the final, perhaps. But uh, so that's obviously incredibly talented, you know, difficult players. But I just feel like something about this match, I think saving match points and coming through it, I just, I feel like it's almost like Osaka's set to win the whole thing now. I just, I feel like you see that quite a lot when players save match points and they go on, they go on to, you know, go all the way. And I just have a feeling about this one, but I may be proved wrong. Uh, I think if Muguruza had won, you know, I'd maybe be saying the same thing, like Muguruza is going to go on to win after that. I don't know. I just think like they, those two, perhaps Muguruza might have been the only one that could have stopped her. Just kind of watching this match on TV, all I would say is about Muguruza and kind of her dialogue with the, the kind of her player box. I just felt that, and she's obviously a very passionate player and I feel like she feeds off the, you know, the energy that comes from Conchita Martinez and all, you know, her team in her box. And I always kind of feel that when she almost, they've kind of channeled the same emotions. And when Muguruza is a bit down on the court, her player box is as well. And I think what I'd like to see kind of going forward is, if Muguruza is down in a match, I, you know, I think her box should maybe be a little bit more positive. That's the sense I got kind of coming across on the, the TV screen. I think, you know, Muguruza is going to look there and she's going to want to see more energy, I think, and more positivity and not just kind of getting excited when you're, you know, hitting winners, uh, you know, left, right and center. I think there's a role I think they could do a bit more in terms of, you know, in those, um, you know, those harder situations when she's maybe a breakdown or, break points down or whatever I think her, her box maybe could be a bit more kind of more um, constructive and more positive and, and not just kind of be down in the dumps because I felt like they were kind of almost channeling the same same emotions they need to gear up a bit I mean I, I'd be quite happy to volunteer for that I could get some Spanish colored <laughs> pom-poms and cheerlead from the box uh you know if she wants to hire me um, <laughs> but well, we also had the Simona Halep Iga Svantec rematch didn't we Joel uh, we were all very intrigued to see what would happen uh, in their kind of, you know, will, will Halep, you know, be able to get revenge? Will Svantec do it, what she did at the French Open again? But um, yeah, it wasn't to be for Svantec because Halep came through. She lost the first set 6-3, but then came through uh, 6-1, 6-4, just shy of two hours. Had to really, you know, dig deep to to turn the match around. Um, I think Svantec was struggling a little bit with some sort of injury. She definitely, I, I, from the second set, went off the boil, especially in that second set. You know, it was, it was very one-sided, that one. But she didn't seem quite the same player that we saw at the French Open, which obviously helped Halep. And Halep, obviously, having <laughs> been on the receiving end, knew a bit, you know, knew what to do and was ready for it this time, wasn't blown away in shock by a Svantec performance. No, I think Halep's experience at, at Grand Slams, yes, I know Svantec, uh is a Grand Slam champion, but I think these situations, just you know, being on the tour a lot longer, I think really helped Halep. Uh, in this, you know, in this battle. And, you know, despite being a set down, she was able to kind of uh, master her own comeback. It was interesting, I think, to hear her kind of her approach to the match really was she wanted to be more aggressive than she was in Paris against Fiontech. But actually, when she stepped out on the court and, and got a feel for the game, actually, she stepped um, a little bit further behind the baseline to give her a little bit more time. And that was kind of what helped kind of contribute to to her win. So I think it was really impressive, I think, for uh, Halep to kind of go on the court. And yeah, she might have had a, a, 
an existing kind of game plan, you know, from point one. But if it wasn't working, she was able to kind of react and adapt. And that really, I think, was was what helped got her through the the second and the second and third sets. And it was, uh, you know, it, again, it was one of the matches that it lived up to the billing. And you know, it, we the the Muguruza the Muguruza Osaka match lived up to the billing. The Simona Shviontek match lived up to the billing. And the fact that she's now going to have to face Serena Williams next, another. Uh, that's, again, it's just another fantastic match to kind of lick our lick our lips at. If Halep wins this tournament, she would have had to have played um, Shriontek, Serena, like Asaka, and like Barty or something. I mean, if she won, you know, having beaten all those opponents, that's just some ridiculous lineup. Uh, but yeah, Serena Sabalenka also went to three sets, uh, also lived up to to expectations. I was really intrigued to see how Sabalenka would get on. Uh, this is the first time they'd played each other. And, you know, she, she, she took that second set. She was close, but I, I think when it, when push came to shove, Serena was, you know, able to, uh, to play better on the big points, which she said herself after the, uh, the match. And I mean, I, I'd like to see this being played a year from now. I think Sabalenka would learn from, you know, the first time, first meeting against Serena. And I think Serena just had enough. To, to get by I know Joel you were quite concerned thinking that Serena's movement perhaps wouldn't be up to scratch you know against obviously a much younger opponent and that she might be a step slow but she seemed to be doing doing all right moving all right quite nicely <laughs> against Simona though I'm not sure I'm definitely eating my I'm definitely <laughs> eating my words there um yeah because I, I I actually felt that if it was going three sets I think Sabalenka was going to was going to come mm. out on top, but no, that, that wasn't to be. And, um, you know, Serena Williams kind of lives to fight another day. I think Simona Halep is going to be a lot more, um, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to crack than, than Sabalenka. And I think one of the reasons for that is that Simona Halep will move Serena Williams around the court. And, you know, we go back to that Wimbledon final between the two of them when, you know, it was a real route from, from Simona Halep. I think we're going to, you know the the question that's really going to be, um, you know, we're all. I think we're going to be thinking about during that match is has what what has Serena Williams learned from that? Has she got a plan B? Because I think that Simona Halep's game, she is going to move Serena all around the court, and Serena is going to have to think of a a way to kind of combat that. Because if if Simona Halep can kind of dictate play and and kind of court position, she's gonna you know it's it's just gonna it's gonna end up the same result. She's she's gonna she's gonna win again. Yeah, and, and Serena in that second set against Sabalenka, you know, her serve was right down and she can't afford to have that sort of dip no. um, against Halep. Because Halep, I can't imagine having her own dip, to be honest. I think she's much more consistent. So I think Serena's... And I don't know how much baggage there will be from that Wimbledon final as well in Serena's mind. If she gets off to a slow start against Halep, I feel like that might be a factor. She's going to remember that that match and how one-sided it was. So I think she's got to get off to a really good start and um, she's obviously got to serve very well. That that goes about saying, um, yeah, I, oh, that's the night session tomorrow, isn't it? I'm, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, I have to say. I think that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be very compelling. We, we, however it goes, it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> Yes, and we also finally, last but not least, we had Suwe Shea come through uh, against Marketa Vondrusova six four six two. Um, again, a bit of an a bit of an upset. Suwe Shea now into the quarterfinals. I think that's a you know career best Grand Slam result. Um, you know she's been 
Kim, she's been on the tennis tour for a long time. She's been on like 20 odd years or something. Her first Grand Slam quarterfinals in the singles. Um, really, really impressive. I mean, I don't want to, talk, we're not going to be talking about age, but you know, she, she's just, it's just, it just shows you that, you know, application and practice, 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 you know, you can really, it can really, um, it can really help you. And there's no, I think, kind of model way to kind of play tennis on a tennis court. You can play your own way and, you know, achieve great success. And I think Su Weishe is a real testament to that. Exactly. You know, you can play all the slice and spin you want and do your own thing. And that's great. <laughs> you know, it's that's why she's a joy to watch because she offers something so different. Uh, it's a different, you know, pace from her. And like she's the doubles world number one at the moment, right? She's she's ranked number one in doubles. She's won slams at, at you know, in the doubles. And I think it's just remarkable at the, you know, probably the twilight of her career that she can suddenly pull it off in singles I mean it just goes to show doesn't it that there's you, you can't sort of say at a certain age you know you should be doing this that or the other and that there's no sort of set path maybe through a career it, it will happen when it happens and right now it's all happening for Sue Shea and I mean she's up against Osaka so you'd have to say Osaka's probably gonna come through her but who knows who knows I don't want to make a too many bets. I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> I'm always nervous about making Suwe predictions because yeah. you know she's such a unique entity that I, regardless mm. of you know the the opponent across the court, if they're world number one or, or whoever they are, facing all the you know the tricks and spins of, of Suwe Shay on on a tennis court, um, it can it can bamboozle you, it can baffle you, and if you don't have a response to that, it can get away from you pretty quickly i mean you just got to ask bianca andrescu about that so um yeah it will be interesting um interestingly kim she doesn't i don't think she has a clothing sponsor i think if you have a close-up of all of her you know her outfit it's a bit of a mishmash of all the you know famous tennis brands so you know if, if she is listening <laughs> uh, you know i'd love to have the passing shot you know, as as the lead, as her lead sponsor, um, if that if that opportunity is there, but yeah, very surprising. I thought for you know a quarter finalist. I think I I don't know if it's something to do with um you know her her nationality and the, the sort of the, the the rules and and restrictions there. Maybe I'm not sure, but um yeah, they don't know what they're missing out on. I mean, I <laughs> do remember that a couple of years ago, I think Simona Halep got to the final without a clothing sponsor because she was like in between contracts or. Yeah or something and she was just wearing like a plain outfit which is ridiculous <laughs> for someone of her ranking but yeah perhaps we can yeah get get Suwei Shea a clothing sponsor um but yes uh fantastic for her and you know she's obviously coming up against Osaka Osaka is probably 95% going to win that one Serena Halep I don't know is it 50-50 it's going to be very interesting that's all coming up tomorrow we've also got Djokovic Sverev and um Karatsev Dimitrov no yes Karatsev Dimitrov I'm getting confused between days I thought they'd only just played last night but that was the day before <laughs> all blurring into one Joel <laughs> um let's just quickly touch on a few other things going on in tennis because we had Andy Murray playing in the Biela Challenger final on Sunday uh, against Ilya Marchenko. Bit disappointing, Joel. Uh, you know, you're a big Andy fan. How did you how did you assess Andy's performance in that final? Because he, he lost in straight sets. 
Yeah, and I, he didn't even manufacture a, a break point, which was very uh, disappointing. Um, you know, he, he has obviously shown great form, great strides, I think, through the week to, to even just get to the final. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of us were kind of expecting, you know, the fact that he'd made it, um, he was he was going to go and win it. <laughs> Just a quick shout out on his uh, opponent, Ilya Marchenko. I feel like he did he didn't appreciate all the the Andy Murray loving this week at the Biella Challenger <laughs> because he was all over social media, uh, being like, uh, "Yeah, I, I I I am the victor. I beat Andy Murray." Ha ha ha. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's going to be much love lost there. But um, yeah, it was a bit disappointing. But I think you know, I think there's another challenger in Biella so I think he's got an opportunity to kind of kind of continue his development and and who knows maybe win the title at the second time of asking yeah um I mean at least it's match practice isn't it even if he didn't get that final exactly. that final win you know he didn't go out in the first round he, he went there he got what he almost what he wanted uh so let's see what he does next week but um just a, a note as well on the philip island trophy which is taking place at melbourne park uh, for players who are you know out of the ao already i thought it was actually in philip island it's not it's still at melbourne park which makes a whole lot of sense but i was confused <laughs> when i realized uh because they're obviously naming it after places in victoria um kenin she he lost to an unranked Australian, uh, which is not a great, uh, re- not a great result for Kenan, especially not after her second round exit of the AO. Uh, yeah, Olivia Gadecki, Gadecki, um, eighteen-year-old, very young player who was a wild card in this event, came through in three sets against Kenan. So, a bit of a car crash for Kenan, I think, at the moment. I don't think mentally Kenin is in the right place. I actually arguably mm. don't think she should have been, she shouldn't even been playing this tournament. I feel like she only mm. played it because she was on site. Uh, and I don't think that was probably, that was probably the, the wrong approach to take because I don't, I think she needs to go away and sort of re- recuperate. And this, yeah, I think that's where this almost this result came from. Uh, Gadecki, interestingly, was watched, I think, by Ash Barty courtside. So, um, you know, maybe one, maybe a, an Aussie for the future. Um, but yeah, really a great win for her and also a great win also for, um, Francesca Jones of Great Britain. She beat Zeng, um, in the first round. She beat Nicolescu in, in qualifying. And yeah, I think she's got a second round match coming up tonight. I think against Patricia Tig. I could be wrong on that, but, um, yeah, another opportunity there to, uh, you know, make great, make great strides. She's having a real, good start to this season really really impressive breakout performances she's she's having a great time in in melbourne yeah i am i've just been googling olivia gadecki she's born in 2002 joel doesn't that make you feel (laughs) old my my lord um yeah no great win for fran jones that's her first tour level win so yeah absolutely fantastic and we'll yeah keep everyone up to date with that on our next catch up which will be on wednesday after the quarterfinals so we hope that everyone can join us then also everyone playing collector set you've all got to hope that ash barty uh works her magic for you because we've got a whole bunch of players on uh three correct answers and they're on for four but it all depends on the ash barty result so uh you know there's a lot to play for uh it's all all counting on on ash barty <laughs> We will we will see how that develops. But as Kim said, we will be back on Wednesday evening UK time for our quarterfinals round by round catch up. I hope you can join us then. In the meantime, if you haven't already, subscribe to The Passing Shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher. 
And if you have been enjoying our coverage of the Australian Open, uh, leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow. Tell all your friends and family who like tennis about us so they can follow us as well. And uh, if they'd like to email us, we also can be reached on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Wednesday evening UK time, as I said, for our quarterfinals round by round catch up. I hope you can join us then for that. Uh, but in the meantime, same as usual, more, more tennis this evening. I'm excited to wake up for Serena versus Simona Halep tomorrow as well. So looking forward to that one. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.